Hey there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to part three of three of episode 100, our favorite films of 2015. And now you're about to hear um, kind of the conclusion of our 2015 discussion, which segues into a retrospective interview conducted by our guest, Bill Ackerman, who just asked us some questions about the show, our history, ourselves. So um, hopefully you enjoy that, but I wanted to uh, once again preface a little bit here with uh, the fact that it was one in the morning. We had, you know, some some drinks, some libations, if you will. Um, and at one point, the police showed up and told us to keep it down. They were like, "We love the show, man, but you know, seriously, it's one in the morning. Your neighbors are trying to sleep and whatnot." So it would be best if you spoke in a hushed, more intimate tone than what you're used to. And so we did. We complied. We didn't want to get any um, uh, warrants out for our arrest or get arrested on the spot. So you're going to notice a little bit of a difference. Um, And that's basically because it was one in the morning. We had a lot to drink. We were tired. And, um, yeah, so... Enjoy. I really hope you do. And thank you again so much for listening to this epic seven-hour, three-part episode here. It means so much to me, and I couldn't be happier to have had Patrick back on and, of course, Bill. Two great guys. Follow them on Letterboxd. Follow me on Letterboxd. And visit DirectorsClubPodcast.com. Thank you so much. Bye! People are going to think of certain titles that maybe they haven't heard of. or They're going to say, where's the big short? Yeah, more than likely. It was fine. I liked it, but didn't love it. You know? There's I, a I, lot of movies like that. Watching, watching, um... Room is one what's of them. The, who's the director of the big short? What's his name again? Adam, Adam McKay. McKay. Watching Adam McKay's, like, arc over the past five years or so, it feels like... It, it, it feels like I'm watching Sullivan's Travels, <laughs> where he's just slowly yeah, trying yeah, to, yeah. like, stay more and more. And it's like, no, you were doing so much good before. <laughs> like, when yeah. you made Step Brothers, that was what – that was the most pure, perfect thing you could have done. And he's like, no, you don't understand. There's these people. They're defrauding America, and <laughs> no one knows about it. We know about it. We know about it. Please make a crazy thing with Will Ferrell again. Well, he made an entertaining – Indictment, right? But I have like so stuff. little interest in that because it's just like okay, cool. I need to know that. See it. I, I'll see it. it. I'll see it when it comes out on DVD for sure. But like, it's just like that's not what you're there for, Adam McKay. You did that. You <laughs> well, did the I, SNL sketch where, where where Will Ferrell loses Chris Parnell's baby. <laughs> Do you remember that sketch? Will no. Ferrell is the doctor, and Molly Shannon and Chris Parnell are coming in. They're like, we're asking you about the baby, and all these distractions come in. Um, 
At one point, uh, does Tim Meadows come in yeah, as Doctor Poop? Yeah, do- Tim Meadows. Yeah, comes, yeah, he's, yeah. Like, he's like, his name is Doctor Poop, and laugh all you want, but he might be the only one who can save your child. And then Tim Meadows <laughs> comes in and goes, "Hi, I'm Doctor Stephen Poop. There's absolutely nothing I can do to save your child, but I can do the robot." And then he robots out of the room. Like that shit was on TV because of Adam McKay. I know. And now he's fucking making the big short. Cool. I mean, I'm sure that movie's good. I'm. It is. I'm not saying it's not good. It's just like that's not what you're here to do. Uh, at any rate, that's Patrick's thoughts on 2015. <laughs> yeah, that's my thoughts <laughs> on 2015, which is like Adam McKay. What happened? Uh, what also, happened? also on that tact, Eli Roth. What happened? He was at one point. He was like the most promising horror filmmaker. Oh God. Around 2007, by the time Hostel Part Two came out, like I have a great idea for this a guy song, is just going up and up. A song to use in the movie. Let's use "Where Is My Mind" by the Pixies. Yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah, I, the only thing that I thought could have good could have come from uh, "Knock Knock" hasn't come to pass yet, which is that I hoped that Death Game. Uh, would get a widescreen release finally, the film that he's remaking, um, and it still hasn't happened yet. So, the original film is is a lot of fun, and you can probably find a pan and scan version on YouTube because it's public domain. Yeah. Mm. Um, oh boy. Yeah. Oh well, it's funny that there's a Paul Thomas Anderson film this year that didn't wind up on anyone's list. Well, that was like a it was like a little exercise for him, right? It wasn't yeah. necessarily a yeah. Yeah, yeah. quote unquote Paul Thomas Anderson film. Mm-hmm. It still it still counts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Top forty, yeah, yeah, it's there. We didn't. We also didn't talk about um, Experimenter. Um, Very good Peter Sarsgaard performance. It's mm-hmm, like yeah. it's like watching a one man show. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. I liked it. I mean, it's not on my list, but it's I, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, Brooklyn was very good. Brooklyn was good. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, we didn't talk about Phoenix. Did you guys like Phoenix? Yeah, very I didn't much see so. Phoenix. We didn't talk about the Blue Room, which was one of the most formally interesting films I saw this year. Oh, I, I didn't see that one either. You didn't see the Blue Room. The Blue Room is a French film about. Uh, it's like oh wait, yeah, I, I did see it in the theater. Yeah, oh, I forgot. I forgot about. Yeah, I saw it. I saw it last year. Yeah, it got a, it got a DVD release this year. I don't know if it ever got an American official limited release. Yeah, I know. I saw. I saw, it played the New York Film Festival last year. Right. Um, I, I saw. What is his name? Uh, Matthew Almerich. Yeah. I saw him holding court outside the theater, and people were really excited to see him. He, he looked very French. He was smoking. Cigarette. Very, very, very <laughs> cool uh, editing approach to the most rote story you can imagine. Um, yeah, I saw it back to back with Gone Girl. It was like a day of murder. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, the, and t- the Martian the was red- good. Which one? The Martian. Martian. Oh, was good. Yeah. Martian was good. Um, Love and Mercy, the Brian Wilson film. Yeah. Yeah, that was very good. Devil's, my dop- the, my doppelganger writing pet sounds. The uh, the Devil's Candy is apparently going to be a 2016 film because it's getting a limited release. I, so is the so okay. is Lobster, which the Lobster showed up on a lot of lists, and I love the Lobster, but I think of that as a film for next year because it comes out in March in theaters. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I thought it was all right. I need to watch it again, though. I was half asleep. The Force Awakens mm-hmm. was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Force mm-hmm. Awakens was... Yeah, it was alright. I liked it. I had a good time. Yeah, uh, good, you know what film? Good year for Oscar uh, Isaac. I yeah, I would agree with anyone that says it's 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 a it's a miss ultimately. But I kind of liked Irrational Man, the Woody Allen film with Joaquin Phoenix. Did you guys like that? One? I I would also I would I'm one of those people. I'd say it's a miss. I'm, I was not a big fan of Irrational Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I I don't think it's a total success either. But I think it's one I think about a lot. 
I think there's a lot that works in it, but I think uh, she's funny that way. The new Peter Bogdanovich. That was the third best screwball comedy of the year. Oh yeah, I, like yeah, that I too. haven't seen that either. Oh man, it's very entertaining, and it's. I think Jennifer Aniston gives a really good comedic performance. Well, we're doing Bogdanovich this year too, so I'll cool. That. You'll see it then. Yeah. Um, wow, guys! I think there's like an interview that's going to happen now because it's, yeah, yeah. it's not just the end of the year for 2015. It's a this it's is a hundredth episode of yeah. the podcast. We're at five and a half hours, and we still yeah. have. Hopefully, maybe an hour to go. <laughs> uh, I've got to. I've got to have you discuss all the previous ninety-nine episodes, if that's okay with you guys. Wow. Yeah, I, I don't work tomorrow. I don't care. <laughs> I, I I do, but I'm. It's already too late for that. It's too um, late for that. But you know what? That you know what we have to do now. What? Hmm. We have to open up our bubbly. All right, go ahead. Go grab it. Okay. Um, Bill, you yeah, asked me. Yes, you yeah, asked me the first question. Her. Jim's going to go grab the bottle. We just got to get this moving. Sure. So, sure. All right. Well, um, um, my first question for you was: um, you had written for Chud, right, before doing the podcast. What was your What was your background? Was that the first film criticism that you were doing, or what What were you doing prior to the podcast? Uh, Creature Corner was the first. That was like the horror offshoot of Chud. I okay. I wrote some DVD reviews for them, and then for Chud, I had a column where i wrote about tales from the crypt episodes okay were you were you friends with jim a long time before uh doing the podcast and did you meet as musicians originally yeah we we met in uh 2007 2008 i think 2008 we met um as musicians um and that wouldn't so that was about like two years before we started doing the podcast and like um we i did a I didn't. I went to a house show at his house. I didn't. I didn't perform then, but uh, he mm-hmm. he contacted me first because he saw my MySpace and he he enjoyed a cover of Marilyn Manson's fight song that I did. Hmm. Do you remember um, how you got on the subject of film as you were first meeting as musicians? Do you remember what you first started talking about? I know it was a while ago. No, um, I do remember that I saw Burn After Reading shortly after Jim did, and I loved it, and Jim thought it wasn't very good. And that was sort of the, the tenor around Burn After Reading at the time was, eh, that's all right. I, like, no one really seemed to be too enthused about it, and I really thought it was the, one of the funniest things I'd ever seen. Yeah, I would agree with you. <laughs> um, so, so, I, was that, so that was the first director you're talking about was a Coen Brothers film. Um, let me see. So... Yes, um, I'm trying to think what are the questions that would be for you specifically. I, I guess. Um, I think where. Let me see here. Well, here's here's some general questions I had, but like, um, do you remember what episodes generated the most email or most feedback for Directors Club? Uh, I think probably the Brian De Palma ones, the first that generated a lot of email. I don't remember what the arc of it was as far as um, what, like when we actually started Hit Critical Mass. Probably it was like once we had like Jay Chiel on or something was when a lot of people started listening or were one of the uh, row, row three guys. Uh, okay. But yeah. I don't remember what, what the first episode we did that generated a lot of email was. Well, because the first two were you both kind of taking a director that the other was not a fan of, because you did Cameron Crowe and Rob Zombie back to back. Right. Um, was that? I mean, when you first discussed having the show, was that already? Like, did you already know right off the bat that like you were gonna pick 
pick ones that you would immediately have an argument about. Is that the always the idea? It, was that your idea or my idea, Jim? I think it was mine. Yeah. Yeah, because um, I knew that you were not a fan of Cameron Crowe, mm-hmm. but you hadn't seen Say Anything yet. Right. Um, and we had, had a brief discussion on Rob Zombie, and I just... I hadn't gotten around to House of a Thousand Corpses, but I just knew I hated Devil's Rejects. So it was more of like, can we find a film uh, by directors that were kind of not necessarily dismissive towards, but just know we're potentially not a fan of in general? So that was kind of my initial intent with the first two episodes, anyway. Oh, well, it's good radio. Yeah, yeah. We kind of wanted to get we wanted to get the claws out early. Uh huh. Or, or at the very least, distinguish ourselves. Yeah. To, to listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like I said, the, the the my initial thinking was, what if I took a book of the month club format and applied it to directors? That's really like my 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 first, you know, inkling of an idea for a podcast was, uh, and a lot of that had to do with listening to Film Junk and Cinecast and going, you know what, they have very long <laughs> digressions and you know, fascinating conversations that go on for three hours plus sometimes, and I'm always riveted. What if uh, me and my friend Patrick did the same thing? Yeah. Do you, by the way, going back to an earlier question, do you remember the first thing we talked about? Because apparently we talked about film, you always say, we talked about film when I went to that house show at your apartment. But I don't remember what we talked about. I don't have any, I, I drank a lot that night. I don't have any memory of it. Shocking. Uh, no. Because <laughs> I, I said we, we watched, we talked about Burn After Reading at a show sometime in 2008. We definitely talked about the Coen brothers. Mm-hmm. We definitely, th- yeah, that's, that's something I definitely remember. But I don't remember specifically. At that point, they were like some of the only directors I had seen most of their films. Mm-hmm. Them and Woody Allen were like the only two I could say I saw. Right. 90 plus percent. Yeah. So did we first meet at my place? <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, the first time you ever talked to me was that MySpace message, yeah. but yeah. That's right. And Jim, you were already, were you, what was it, which which site were you writing reviews for prior to Directors Club? Uh, efilmcritic.com slash Hollywood Bitch Slap. Um, if you look at efilmcritic.com now, today, they still have not updated their site in any way, shape, or form. So oh, it's it still, is a wonderful blast from the past. It is, yeah, it still looks like a GeoCities piece of crap. Um, wow. and I Even don't more know, so than something like Ain't It Cool News. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's very Ain't It Cool News. So it's it's kind of ugly, but um, a lot of great guys still write on there. So um, yeah, I was writing for them, and that's kind of how I fell in line with uh, Colin Suter and Eric Childress, and wound up doing uh, WGN radio for a little while too, just sort of like as a guest spot. So I, I noticed. I mean, obviously, there's there's periods where. Jim wasn't on the show taking a break, and there's now a period where Patrick's not on the show, um, except you know as a guest. Um, do you how uh, do you keep up with the episodes that you don't appear on? Do you do you watch films along like a regular viewer? Do you or do you just kind of catch the ones that you don't appear on? You know when you have time. I mean, do, are you a regular listener of the show when you're not one of the uh, guest hosts or hosts? Oh, it's such a nice break to not have to watch the movies that. I never, I never like watch and then watch them all and be like, yeah, okay, now I can engage with this podcast. I'll listen to them. Um, there's certain certain episodes I haven't listened to, certain episodes I like that don't necessarily have an interest in. But I'm very 
bad at listening to film podcasts. It's not just our show. I don't listen to any film podcasts because I like listening to podcasts about topics I know way, way less than the host because then I can't get mad when the host says something that is wrong. Um, it's actually like the podcast I do love the most, like Idle Thumbs, which is a video game podcast. Sometimes when they do take a detour into films or books or music or whatever, they're very, very smart, and it's I never feel like insulted. And it's that's one of the reasons it's my favorite one is because if they then just talk about you know some other film they saw recently, they usually are pretty smart about it. But then there's other podcasts that listen to it. Every time they talk about movies, it drives me out a fucking wall because they just <laughs> don't know what they're talking about. And that's why I like always resisted the idea of like we should do a book club because like I don't want to be that guy who reads four books a year and it's like well i'll tell you why this novel's a good like no i'm not that guy i mean i can read and i can get enjoyment out of it but i'm not going to teach anyone anything about books no you're just stating an opinion in the, at the end of the day you know yeah i just i mean, i don't I, I like to feel like i'm putting out something more value than just this is how i feel and i feel it because i feel it like yeah i like to have more insight than that like when we did the that's what you do so well when we did the book adaptation episode i felt like i did a terrible job because i didn't because I felt like I didn't know how to put things into words because I don't read as much as I watch movies. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes it's still a struggle to put things into words because I feel movies so much. Yeah. Like, even with Duke of Burgundy and Carol, it's like, how do I articulate exactly why I think these are great films? Um, you know, and I think that's where I always feel like, did I do a good job? And yet, you know, you get you get positive reinforcement and feedback sometimes and say you do a good job and i'm like really okay so you, you know, can't trust that you can't sometimes. trust any of that sometimes <laughs> sometimes i believe it sometimes i don't yeah you can't you can't trust any do you want to just pour a glass of your own yeah i'll, I'll pour some like of this go ahead you answer the next question he asked oh i was gonna say uh jim do, uh, do you I, I asked patrick but do, do you listen to the episodes regularly that you don't appear on when you're uh taking a break and patrick is the host um yes i i did i think i think for some reason i and i and i don't know why it's probably because i just didn't watch any of the movies for the richard lester episode i still haven't listened to that one that's probably like the only one that i haven't listened to have yet. you seen robin and marion yet? no i, I want oh, to it's man. really good i i watched that for because I'm 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 someone that like watched along as a listener. Like I would watch along with the directors that you were covering in advance, mm-hmm. and that was actually a film that I saw for the first time because of the Richard Lester episode. And it's one of the best things he's done, I think. Yeah, it's yeah. really wonderful. Um, I do have a question for you, Bill. Uh, yeah, you, your first email sent to us was on September eighteenth, twenty eleven, and oh, wow. um, it was it was very nice. Uh, you have a paragraph here that says, I have to be honest, I wasn't sure if I was too crazy about the show at first. There were some factual inaccuracies, mispronunciations, and opinions <laughs> that I was wildly opposed to. But you know yeah. what? I got over it. Yeah. So that's really sweet. Re- you got you wrote a very, very lengthy email. Did I really? And, uh, I listened for a long time before I wrote it. <laughs> none, of that, none of that has changed, by the way. There's still wild factual inaccuracies, gross mispronunciations. Yeah, and I think I, I, oh, I, yeah. I, I've met Hal Hartley a few times, and one of the times I met him was actually as I was listening to your episode <laughs> where he's flayed alive critically. Uh, <laughs> remember, like thinking of that as I was like walking up to him, like, should I tell him that this exists? And I'm like, you know what? He's he's got enough problems. Right. You know, I, <laughs> God forbid. I think it was your I think it was your ex Carly who 
was was texting with me after you had watched Trust, and I was working for the bread company at the mm-hmm. time. And I remember where I, I remember which store I was at, and I remember um, reading the texts of Patrick absolutely hated Trust. Yeah. And you said that was like your favorite movie. And she's like, I thought it was, I thought it was just okay, you know. And it was just really funny at that time. I was like, oh my god. Patrick's gonna hate me forever now. Cause I yeah yeah I used to hate Hal Hartley. He was one of my least favorite directors when I first saw his stuff. So I totally understand. Anytime Patrick puts down Hal Hartley, like I, I get it. I was that person. Oh, I get too. it too. I, I mean, he's yeah. an acquired taste. Yeah, that's, I, I, that's the truth. Yeah. yeah, but he's great. I mean, he's really great. Wouldn't you agree? Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, yes. he's, he's he's a master. <laughs> um. What what directors that you haven't covered get the most requests? I was thinking maybe I know Jarmusch. Patrick, Jarmusch. I, I was going to say Jarmusch is probably the one. I, I, Jarmusch or Scorsese would have been my guess. Scorsese, maybe hurt some. Yeah. Wes Anderson was requested constantly until we did him. Yeah. Um, Jarmusch is constantly requested. Uh, I don't know any anything else you can think of. Not off the top of my head. You don't have like really aggressive Ang Lee fans, right? Now. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're out there. Believe me, they love taking Woodstock, and they're coming after us. Oh my god, taking Woodstock. Uh, um, <laughs> no, I don't. Th- I don't think so. Um, nah, we can move on. <laughs> do you have? Um, do either of you have a favorite episode? Like, if somebody. Say somebody is like listening to this show, and this is their first episode of Directors Club they're listening oh to, and you wanted to point them to one you're particularly proud of from any of the previous episodes. Is there one that immediately comes to mind? Um, well, I really, really, really enjoyed putting the Nicholas Rogue episode together. I don't, that would be like, that'd be the <laughs> absolute opposite of what you just said. Cause like, that is not, that is not indicative of anything, but, um, no. I, I'm proud of that episode. Um, yeah, I, I like that. I'm, one. I'm really glad that you did it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really, really proud of what me and Gabe have done with the two horror movie shows. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. um, I think there's a very specific thing that those shows are that I, that like, it's one of the few things where I wanted something to exist and then I made it exist. And I think it existed well, like, it's. I don't really feel that very often about anything I do, but that is something yeah. that I specifically, when I was listening to like best horror movie list episodes of podcasts, I was just like, no, it should be like this. And then because Gabe is so amazing, um, and just so Gabe Gabe Powers is really just like an unbelievable presence. I I get so mad that he doesn't have his own like exploitation movie podcast because he's he's uh, so incredible. He will. It's yeah. happening. Uh, well, at any at any rate, like so, because he is who he is. I was really proud of those. I liked the um, link letter episode. That was good because yeah. that That's... was that was exciting because Regina did did not know much about Richard Linkletter, mm-hmm. um, and then he ended up being her favorite director. Like that was such yeah. a wonderful, pleasant surprise. I I think that is. I wrote this down. I think that is the best episode of Directors Club is the Richard Linkletter episode because I think that it really highlights both of your respective strengths on the show. In, mm-hmm. um, both in terms of the analysis and like the personal aspects and just like the fun of it. I mm-hmm. think it's, I think it's the all around. I mean, there's other episodes like that, but I think that is the most perfect episode you guys have. Well, I, th- I think that also like 
it's one of the unfortunate things. It's just the way the podcast is. You can't do it this way a lot, but we are all in the same room and that makes so much of a difference. Yeah. Um, you can be so much looser and so much freer and riff off each other and bounce off each other. And like, God, if I ever did another podcast, I would want everyone in the same room because it's just such a great experience. I am so grateful that the next four episodes are all people I can see live in person, face to face. It feels so much better. Mm Mm-hmm. As we look at each other, yeah. <laughs> um, I wrote down something you had. You've had several people make uh, multiple appearances on the show, and I was just curious if you could talk about how you first met the following people: uh, Gabe Powers, uh, Chud dot com. He was on. He was on Chud dot com for a while. He's no longer there, but that was where I first met him. And then, basically, Chud the Chud message boards died because Facebook. Everyone just became friends on Facebook, and that was where all the film conversation then happened. Yeah. So it's hard to even remember who had what screen name anymore because he he was not Gabe Powers on them, but uh, on on the on the message boards. But that's what yeah. he is to me now. Yeah. Um, Kurt Halfyard. He came from the Cinecast, and he's somebody that um, I enjoyed listening to and shared very similar tastes with sometimes. But I mean, again, he's a rambling man. He he can go on and on and on, but. At the same time, I always enjoyed him. I don't. I, I don't think I've read much of his writing per se. I mean, he has written reviews for World yeah. Three from time to time, but he's he's got a chapter in a book I bought. Yeah, which I need to get as well. But um, yeah, no, I, I met him through Andrew James and the uh, Row Three Cinecast. Okay, and Eric Childress, you said you met through was it eFilm Critic. Yeah, yeah, eFilmCritic.com, I believe. Our, our first vocal introduction to one another was the year 2000, when we both gave our top ten lists on WGN Radio. And, of course, he had Castaway at number one. Oh, I remember that. Oh. I think my number one has changed since then. I think at the time I had Traffic, which is silly. Yeah. Now you know <laughs> Castaway is the best film no, in 2000. No. <laughs> um, how about Phil Noble Jr.? Phil, Phil was on Chud. He now writes for um, Badass Digest. Or I guess now it's called Birth Movies Death. Yeah, Birth um, Movies oh, yeah. Death has a cast. I think I knew that that was the same thing. He was so there was like this, you know, the way message board dynamics happen. The people who are there forever um, are sort of, you know, they're they're sort of the kings and they sort of rule the school, you know. And then there's a bunch of other like Me Too sort of people who don't aren't quite up on that sort of level. And he was one of the cool kids who would always reach down and would engage you in conversation. He was. Always really smart, but he was funny as well, whereas a lot of times on message boards like that, snark is the most valuable thing, and then whether or not you actually have anything to say about movies is sort of secondary. And it's Phil Nobile Jr., by the way. Oh, sorry. It yeah. happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. We did it all the time. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's sad because um, he's another person I think I just kind of pushed away at a certain point. Um, so... Yeah, some of these some of these names are are you know people I haven't heard on the show anymore. Like uh, Brendan uh, M. Leonard as another one. Was he another Chud guy? Yeah, he's another. It's exact same story. I pushed him away. <laughs> <laughs> me and me and Brendan have a have a weird relationship. Um, but uh, he's a nice guy. Um, he was a, yeah. I know I knew him from Chud. How about Mike Flynn? Chud. Yeah, another another Chud guy. He's a B action. There was like a big B action thread where. There was like just a group of six people who would only watch, you know, not only, but 
almost exclusively watch like you know direct-to-video action movies and 80s action movies and stuff like that and it would just be like this one wrong long rambling conversation they would have over the course of seven years about different action movies where that had its own inside jokes um stuff like that so him and rennie um from uh the uh walter hill walter hill episode I think that was no, no, no. Walter Hill was John McTiernan. John McTiernan, Rennie from yeah. John McTiernan is also another B movie guy. Yeah. Um, How about Mike Flynn? Also was. Um, I don't know if I ever answered the question, but uh, Catherine Bigelow is probably still my favorite episode. We were very drunk really? and we had a lot of fun, and it was really goofy and crazy and weird. Uh, any, I should oh. go back and listen to that. Yeah, I should go back and listen to that too. I, I haven't heard that one since the first time I heard it. I mean, I, I haven't like re-listened to a lot of episodes, so you know, I'm sure it's probably yeah. not the best. I just remember it, like thinking, "Oh my god, we're we're so on yeah. on that episode." Yeah. So yeah, the David Lynch one is the one I've listened to the most outside of ones I've been on because I listen to the ones I'm on, you know, because I have an ego. But sure. Uh, yeah, the David Lynch one is my favorite for entertainment value. Yeah, um, that one was. That one was another argumentative one. Yeah, yeah I, well, I didn't get your dismissal of the straight story. That was like that was kind of like. <laughs> well, I didn't finish it. Oh, that's true. It felt like there's. I, I know. I, and we don't well, have to get into it again, yeah. but there's gross shit yeah. in David Lynch's work as far as like dwarves and things like that, and Sissy Spacek's character just felt like a gross like depiction of a mentally disabled person as flavor. Hmm. Yeah, well, one one day there'll be another Kickstarter that you will make an offer. I will donate it to it, and I will I will have you watch a straight story for that fifty dollars, and we'll talk about it. <laughs> hey. <laughs> um, Andrew Bemis, make another movie. Yeah, just, and also just let you know we gotta we gotta wrap this up about fifteen minutes. Oh, okay. Well, um, okay. I well, so I wrote down the details for every episode of uh, Directors Club that we won't have a chance to actually discuss them. Sorry. Um, no, we can maybe, that's a, we can maybe continue well, it via Skype or well, something. Yeah, like um, another time though. Yeah. Well, well. So, all right. I'm gonna go down episode by episode. You tell me: is there anything distinctive about the recording that is that you think might be interesting? Um, mm-hmm. So we we talked about Cameron Crowe and Rob Zombie. Um, next one was uh, Terry Gilliam. Um, this was January of 2011. You t- talked about Brazil and Fear and Loathing. Um, since then, Gilliam has done the Zero Theorem. Do, do you have you followed any Gilliam Mm-mm. since that recording? I didn't even watch Imaginarium. Yeah, I, ha- I don't. No, I haven't either, to be honest. And I know the Zero Theorem was playing in Grand Rapids at the time, and I was just like, eh, I don't know. I wasn't. I, I just haven't been as enthused about his work as of late. Um, and I, I don't think I even bothered seeing Tideland. So, oh, I saw. Yeah. Oh, I saw Tideland. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Um, was John Landis, Todd Haynes, and Joseph Losey are the next three. Now, Joseph Losey was one that Kurt Halfyard suggested you guys cover, and it seems like that's one where you guys really, you can hear it in your voice how excited you were. Well, yeah. The servant, man. I think that might have actually been, like, just the first episode. I don't know if we got any reaction from it or anything, but that was the first episode where we sort of figured out what it was, because... Um, I feel like for a lot of it, these were directors we were already familiar with, and we're like, all right, well, here's my take on Terry Gilliam, you know? But, like, Joseph Losey was sort of the thing where we actually learned that the podcast was about not us being, like, these movie gods, these movie gods who are, like, raining down judgment, but actually us just being morons who are 
who have so much to learn. Right. We're that, just discovering. Yeah. And that, like, I that would, think that's probably the best part of our podcast is when we are discovering things. That's what, that's what hooked me on the show was actually getting to the episodes where you could hear you guys falling in love with Cassavetes or falling in love with Juan Carvai or falling in love with Amadova or falling in love with Losi. Like yeah. that, I think, I think I was hearing them at a really jaded point for myself as a cinephile. And I think hearing people with that enthusiasm, like, and it was totally an unforced, like you could feel it was a real thing. I think that's what kind of, you know, got me interested as a listener that I listened to every one of them because of that quality. Um, so I, I know we you said you have a, a, a time limit. So I would like to ask you about the Brian De Palma episode. Oh boy. I know Patrick and I talked about this once over drinks, but, uh, <laughs> what, what, what can you tell me about this one? Because it's such a fascinating one. Um, and no other episode you've done really replicates this. I mean, you've definitely had episodes where you've kind of gently battled the guests. I'm thinking of like the Zemeckis one, but like, um, <laughs> this is the only one where you just sound like you've set up like a kind of a critical derby match and just kind of sit back and laugh as they go at each other. I, I didn't, I don't think we knew it was going to be that much. Maybe you did, because you knew both of them. Well, yeah, but I... I don't know. I didn't think Peter Subchinsky thought Femme Fatale was the best film of the decade. <laughs> I didn't think it was going that far. I, that was that was definitely like I haven't really. It's a it's it can be a hard one to listen to, but um, it's I it, I definitely think that might be one of the most fun I ever had because I knew exactly what was happening as it was happening, and I was and I could not be more pleased because it was just the kind of chaos that. I, I I wanted to happen more often, and I and I've tried to, in in different ways, I've tried to bring different bits of chaos or uh, curveballs to the show. Has been all about sort of chasing that feeling of I don't know what's going to happen next, and that must be really fucking fun as a listener. Yeah, yeah, it, it was it was a little it was a little difficult to navigate, you know, their responses throughout yeah. and i mean i knew femme fatale was going to be the divisive one and i i had the you know the defense of like you know what i just find it entertaining i don't really know why but at the same I think t- my, yeah i think my favorite part of it i love sisters to death it's one of my favorite films of his but when matt gamble says like sisters is horse shit like it's just like there's this like one sentence like like it is like so That's matt gamble in a nutshell really <laughs> I mean, he, it's unfortunate though, and you know, I'm not going to make this about like I don't like this quality about somebody, but um, you know, t- describing movies as retarded kind of bothers me. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm glad it's happened well, less and less, both on the Cinecast and on Film Junk over the past couple of years. But back then, it seemed prevalent, and I wasn't about to like call them out because I'm on such good ground with them and everything. And thankfully, that's subsided. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, was just. We like, also did shitty things. Oh sure, we we did many. Shitty like things. I am a much different person than I was in 2010, f- for the better. Yeah. And I sure, if I looked back, I I remember one thing. You know, um, I think me and you have talked about this bill about like the only memories I have are all the terrible things I've done. Right. <laughs> um, I don't sure, think I like yeah. I constantly live in fear that someone will go back and listen to the episode where we were talking about bridesmaids cause it just came out and I was talking about how um, ugly I thought. So who, who, who plays the, the bride in that? Kristen. Uh, oh, um, 
Maya Rudolph. Oh, Maya Rudolph. Maya. I thought like I was like asking everyone else like, is it just me or is she like looking kind of ugly or like something? Did they light her wrong? Like I was just like really dwelling on it. It's like really gross yeah. shit I did. And I, I, I can edit I it think, out. I think about that like <laughs> once a week. I just think about like me calling Maya Rudolph ugly on a recorded thing that's like out there in the internet, and it just makes me so upset. <laughs> yeah, especially if Paul Thomas Anderson hears it. Well, yeah, I, yeah, that's gonna really hurt his feelings. But like, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm just talking about like. God, I hope people don't hear that and then think that's who I am now. Because yeah, I doubt I, I, it. I, I, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've never been on an episode of your show where I didn't say at least two or three things that like haunt me to this day. Like, <laughs> I, I, can't, I wish I didn't say it that way, or I wish I just kept quiet. <laughs> but it just you know, it's just the nature of how it works when you're working in an unscripted, spontaneous conversation. I mean, no one is you know, a, a perfect kind of a spokesperson as, I, as I'm illustrating right now. Right. Oh, I don't know. I don't know how many times after we're done recording, like half hour later, I'll be like, why didn't I say that thing? I'll just think of it later as opposed to in the moment. And I think that's how always my brain has worked, which is like, I would be terrible at debating and improv and all that stuff where you have to like think right at the spot. The, another thing I always think about, I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure chewing up so much time with this, I'm not thinking I'm answering your question, but like yeah. another thing I think about a lot is the Tyler Perry episode was the time I think I just went and really butted heads with this thing that you're talking about as far as like trying not to let things get ugly or whatever. Because hmm. there's a part where Evan had like he like we were talking about how after um, Precious came out, which Tyler Perry produced, Tyler Perry came out as saying that he was abused as a child. And Evan was saying, like, well, I have a theory about that. And I just shut that shit down immediately because I was afraid he was going to accuse Tyler Perry of lying about being abused, which is like, if you don't have evidence, back the fuck off of that shit. And I was, like, so mortified that I just, like, immediately changed the subject. And I haven't gone back and listened to that episode, but I bet that shit would make me laugh so much. Evan's an interesting character. You know, he's cool. He's a yeah. cool guy. He's he's not a bad guy at all. No, but it's just all. like, no, that's no, no, not no. the thing I wanted on my podcast. Right. <laughs> um... So I, it's funny because like I, I would love to ask about each like all right like so so someone like David Gordon Green episode nine mm-hmm. with Colin Suter, do you, have you like have have your opinions on a director like him who has like done since then he did The Sitter Joe Prince Avalanche or Brandis Crisis Manglehorn like do you do you, do you, um. Does your opinion change overall on on his worth as a filmmaker? Do you follow like with a director like that who who continues to be active? I mean, obviously, like you cover some people that you know don't like John Landis that just don't work anymore. But like someone like that, I mean, do you think about doing a second episode? Do you think about like, do you still do you still feel like the do you, do you feel like having done an episode on David Gordon Green, you now feel a certain kind of obligation to like further that education in like keeping up with all the new work or is it just kind of like oh you know he's just another filmmaker it doesn't it doesn't really impact i don't know it depends on if he made something significant again maybe i like joe i mean yeah i like like joe Joe. a lot i watched i watched prince avalanche i but i don't think anything happened in between us recording that episode and his career like and now like his career hasn't changed that much he's sort of been edging his more in his more obscure stuff into the mainstream. Like he's mm-hmm. sort of been bridging that gap a bit, but like his, his work hasn't changed all that much. So mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, you know, I, I'm also like, I'm not loyal and I also don't see as many movies a year as Jim does. So, you know, like I 
discovered Almodovar from exclusively from that podcast, and I really, really liked Almodovar, and I also have not gone back and watched any Almodovar movies since we recorded that podcast. You should see podcast. the skin I live in. Yeah, I know. Everyone says that, but like, it's just, I'm not a very loyal viewer. I don't, I don't like, feel their, their need to But you're a loyal careers. friend. <laughs> um, <laughs> am no, I? I, I? I have a loyalty to certain directors that I, you know, proclaim as favorites, but at the same time, I'm not as an actors, like yeah, and I have no like I'm a little more loyal to directors. I'll always see every Edgar Wright movie in the theaters. I'll always see like Quentin Tarantino movies, and I'll try to see all the Coen Brothers movies in theaters. But like, I am not going to see a movie because of an actor. It can be my favorite actor. If the movie doesn't look particularly interesting, I'll write it off. Mm, and you, that's cool. one way we're so different. Yeah. Well, there was a Michelle Williams movie that came out last year that I haven't even seen. I don't even remember what it's called. So it happens. Wow. Yeah. Uh, here's a general question as critics. Um, when you're watching when you're watching something by a director that you're covering for the podcast, do you like and it's a first time watch, do you have trouble turning off the part of your brain that's analyzing the content of the movie for future use in the discussion? Like do you have a hard time turning off the critical part of your mind that is like how many stars is this getting on letterboxd when this is over mm-hmm. like do you do you have a hard time separating the critic from just the getting lost in the film or is that is that the fault of the filmmaker for not engaging you so completely no that's just how i that's how i watch all movies now it's terrible but that's, that's just kind of how <laughs> it's it, part of the process i think at this point it's how i mean it's also just part of what makes you an astute viewer is if you are watching a film specifically looking for things to say about it, you're probably going to pay closer attention. Um, you know, and maybe that means that you have more trouble enjoying certain kinds of movies, but that also means that you get way more out of certain kinds of movies than other people. Like, you know, even something that's mainstream entertainment, like treasure of Sierra Madre, you know, you might just be like, I really enjoyed watching treasure of Sierra Madre, but because you had to sit there and watch it and think about it, you were like, you know what? I think this is actually my favorite movie. Like, I think this is yeah, actually yeah. some next level shit. Like, mm-hmm. and I, yeah, the letterbox thing is more of a problem for me because I write, I write reviews of everything. Um, yeah. So yeah. it's it's weird because like I, I don't. It's like when I'm watching a movie or even something like Hateful Eight, I'm not thinking like, oh my god, this is definitely a five star movie. I can't wait to go home and give it five stars. But when I was watching um, Sleeping with Other People. In my head, I was like, oh, this is kind of a four-star movie. And then all of a sudden, the last 20 minutes came, I'm like, no way. Mm-hmm. I'm giving it three stars, if that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, and then, I don't know. My brain usually doesn't work like that, but I do try to, like, you know, make mental notes now because I know I have to talk about it on a podcast. So, I mean, with newer movies, not so much, just because we don't have a new release podcast, but for the next two months, I have to. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I'm... I'm really bad about it. I mean, to a certain extent, I think logging everything in Letterbox has helped me because it's just made me very good at articulating how I feel about things, and it has oh for sure engaged me with people, and it's and it's and it is just a good way to get practice into not vegging out because I know there'd be certain movies that I would half watch and I'd half be on my computer, and then at the end of it, I'd say, yeah, I saw that, but because I know I have to write about it, I can't have my computer out at all. 
mm-hmm. because then if I say something that someone then because then someone can comment on Letterboxd and be like, actually, that was explained in this scene. Were you not watching it? <laughs> like, <laughs> so there's that good part. The bad part is like, yeah, I'm so fucking in my head and it's really gross and I wish I could just be transported by art. But also, you know what? Not all art is transporting. Some of it's not so good. Um, well, I mean, I it's think- not as if when I was watching when Marty was there, I was thinking. I was like thinking, all right, this is a four-star movie or three-star movie, but I was thinking, what kind of a movie is this? So it's a romance, I guess, but the romance isn't going any like this is odd. Like, are they going to what's <laughs> what? What is the mystery? Is she a goat? Like, you know, you it makes you an active viewer, but it's not always necessarily in such strict, gross terms as like, what 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 number am I going to assign to this? Yeah, well, with the Forbidden Room, I actually had to pause that movie and. <laughs> message bill because i was like what is this and i thought that was kind of a fun sort of way to interact during the movie like with somebody if i was actually in the room with them while watching it yeah um i was i was like i saw that at 11 o'clock in the morning with a cup of coffee at the new york film festival i was just like i was still kind of waking up it just felt like a dream hitting me like aggressively (laughs) it's it still feels like a dream i feel like i'm still dreaming it yeah, the, um, movie. I don't know if I, I already asked you this one, but like, do you guys have a favorite episode of the other person that you were not on? Like, do you have a favorite episode, Jim, that Patrick was on that you were not, and vice versa? Is there one that comes to mind that like, either you felt like, oh man, that he, you know, he really nailed it, or just like, oh, I wish I was part of that conversation. It sounds so fun. Like, is something? Yeah, is, Tarkovsky. Was I think Tarkovsky, Tarkovsky was. I mean, that was, like, a really interesting conversation because you guys were, like, sort of articulating how intimidated you were <laughs> by his work. Yeah, I, and sort of, it's know, more finding, about a response than it was yeah, about the work. That, that's actually the one I'm most scared to revisit of all of my appearances because I'm like, did I fuck that up? Really? No, 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 not at all. You guys were great. Um, it made me want to see more of his work, and I feel ashamed that I haven't. Like, that, his yeah. work would be on my shame, list of shame for sure. Yeah, I think you'll like it more than Heart to Be a God. So you should start yeah. with Tarkovsky before you go to Heart to Be a God. It's got more heart and humanity to it, and yeah, yeah, well, it's I, got less. It's got less shit and snot. Yeah, I really liked Paul. Sh- I really liked the Paul Schrader episode because um, Paul Schrader is someone I know as a screenwriter, but I mm-hmm. have. I mean, I've seen, I've seen uh, Lightning. What's the movie he did? Hardcore. No. Rolling Thunder. Rolling Thunder. Did Rolling he direct Thunder. that? Even? Yeah. No, he didn't direct. He it. wrote that. Okay, he wrote so the first. I he wrote I, the first script of that. Okay, I guess I only really know him as a screenwriter. So, I, it was, it was fascinating to see this sort of not secret history. Obviously, it's not like you uncovered these movies that no one knows about. But like, to me, it was like just this discovery of this whole other career he had. Because to me, he's like, oh yeah, he's the guy who wrote Rolling Thunder and Taxi Driver and King of Comedy. I don't think of him as the director of Blue Collar, and I really enjoyed hearing you guys talk about Blue Collar. Oh, yeah. Have you seen it yet? No, no. You should. You will. It's good. Well, this sometimes, year, it, sometimes it takes you 15 years to watch one no, of my I recommendations. I've got to move at my own pace. Yeah. Well, Rules of the Game was one that you mentioned. I thought you mentioned on one episode like that was one that you were saving. Am I misremembering? Still is. Still is. I have it on, okay. I have it on Blu-ray right now to watch you, uh, this nice. year. Because this year I'm I'm going through my list of shame and I'm knocking out all the most shameful stuff. Like I'm finally going to see It's a Wonderful Life and Shadow of a Doubt and Rules of the Game and uh, Ventura, all those. Oh yeah, well we, we'll do an, uh, an Antonioni episode. Uh, you know, for, that'll be my uh, 
that'll be my request if you, uh, you make a, uh, an offer to do another guest uh, episode or uh, bonus episode. I will make you watch Antonioni. I think that would uh, drive me up a fucking wall. I think I think I think him and Godard are like the origins of all you hate. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, Even I'm intimidated by Godard, and I kind of like him. I started watching every Godard film because I thought oh, we were right. doing him, and so like I bought Godard films I did not have. I bought books. I'm sorry. Like, I, well, I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> no, sorry. no, it's it it, it helps out. Maybe like I should put him back on the list. It helps uh, out at um, parties. <laughs> um, <laughs> what was I going to say? Oh, pa- Patrick, I wanted to know: uh, Did you not do the second Spielberg episode because Schindler's List was going to be discussed, and you've still never watched it? No, I, I did it because I didn't. <laughs> I didn't do it because we were moving. Okay, we, me and me and Regina moved in together, and it was just like a timing thing. But Lars von Trier and Michael Haneke were those. Those were very, you... very specifically. <laughs> I just sort of. <laughs> was watching those movies and I'm like, I got nothing, nothing. I, it was code unknown, code unknown, code unknown. Yeah. It was definitely like a 20 minute process of me going, not only am I not going to finish this movie, I'm not going to be on this goddamn podcast. That's I, great. I saw, I, that's a great response to it. I saw like, like hour of the wolf or what's the time, time of the wolf. time of the wolf. I saw that one and I'm like, okay, I like I like funny games. I kind of like Time of the Wolf. Maybe I'm on board for Haneke. And then the second I saw Code Unknown, I'm like, I'm not going to say a goddamn sentence about this movie. I was I was very perplexed by it. And That's I, my favorite one. I plan to rewatch it again. Yeah, but eh. yeah, yeah. Not it's not for everybody. That that one. I mean, I was scratching my head the first time I saw that one too, but in a good way. Um, um, I think I was in a bad emotional state for Von Trier as well. I don't think I wasn't getting anything out of his movies, but that one I was just like. It would probably be good for mental health if I didn't watch any more of these. <laughs> yeah, well, was was and was Fassbender what drove you? Was am I th- remembering correctly? Was that what drove you off the podcast for a bit? No, it wasn't necessary. I think it was a combination of things. My health was in crummy shape at the time, physically and mentally. Um, I was going through a tumultuous time with a friend that I was living with, and I just needed some time off. Um, you know, I sort of had to regroup and figure out what I was going to do, but um, yeah, I just I I know there was some spe- a specific fast bender movie that sort of drove me to the break. Was it uh, in the year Thirteen Moons? Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah, mm-hmm. my favorite one. That and Ali. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Ali is definitely my kind of movie, but oh man. I, was so yeah. cha- I found him so challenging and daunting, and I was like looking at his filmography. How am I going to get through this? Yeah. But yeah. you know, I mean, there's so much to admire about his work. I just was uh, not in the best frame of mind to absorb it all. Yeah, I have to, I have to say that, it, like speaking of the new uh, the new German cinema, it made me crazy that you guys both did not get a chance to see Kings of the Road before doing your Vin Benders episode, and then you both loved yeah. it when you saw it. Yeah, that, that <laughs> would be that's so inevitable. That'll happen. Yeah. That happens. Like, I told you, like, guys, you, you don't understand. You'll like this one. <laughs> did I put that on my favorite... Oh, my God. I don't know if I put that on my favorite first-time watches. Yeah. It, it, it was it was like my number eleven. It was it was it actually was literally my number eleven for my favorite discoveries. I, I will say that I only made it about ten minutes into the Coleman Francis episode because I knew that it was an April Fool's joke. Oh, good for you! See, this guy's even... smart. We had so many people mess like my my friend Art was like messaging Patrick or something saying like you were so mean to Jim. Yeah. What's wrong with you? I think I think. <laughs> On the one hand, I think that 
that show was that episode was a success because it was all I ever want. Like I said, like I just want chaos, and all I ever want for an April Fool's episode is just a weird, chaotic thing that confuses people, and it's just baffling. <laughs> But I think it was a failure because we also wanted it to be funny, and I don't think it was. <laughs> Parts of it. Uh, as, as funny, like Daniel Kibblesmith, who was on that episode, he writes for The Late Show. Mm. Like, he is the funniest person I've ever met in my life. He is one of the most talented mm-hmm. comedic minds I've ever seen. Um, but unfortunately, his scene partners were me and Jim, so... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't think that episode particularly turned out that well. But some people really like it. Oh, you, it's oh, got yeah. a cult the, following. The other, as they the, other, say. the other thing about the Coleman Francis episode that was crazy is some people sent in emails being like, "You know, I rewatched Beast of Yucca Flats, and it kind of you're kind of right. That movie is good." <laughs> <laughs> and then I felt I think that was yeah. a joke. And then well, no, I one was definitely not. Um, and I've also seen other like exploitation B movie, Z movie kind of people like mm-hmm. say that movie is actually secretly very interesting. Um, so it's, but like, okay. that made me feel so shitty when someone said that because <laughs> it's like, ha ha, you're an idiot for having your real reaction to this movie. <laughs> I manipulated your mind. <laughs> That's all we do. Like, ugh, I felt feel bad about that. I was going to say, is there a particular episode where you felt like you learned the most from one of your guests? Ooh, you've had some really articulate guests over the years. Is there, is there any, you can say more than one, yeah. there, you know, uh, is there anybody that comes to mind? Anytime Gabe Powers has been on. Yeah, um, for sure. I think Phil Noble Jr. is also just like, he really knows his shit. And when he likes a director, he reads interviews and he reads books and he sees all their movies and he's just like and he has a coherent full view of their career so like i think both those episodes with him on it were really good yeah Um, freaking was another strong episode yeah oh i love that freaking episode Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh vincent minnelli episode sergio knows his stuff sergio i mean say what you will sometimes he talks a lot and you know over us but at the same time oh. he will you know throw out older films that i've never heard of or you know he'll mention just these interesting side stories about directors that i've, I've never heard before that he's kind of a walking wikipedia of older films and classical music that he's kind of an interesting character um yeah one of my favorite moments with him, and I, I say this with with no disrespect at all to him, uh, was on, the, I think, the Vincent Minnelli episode. And as a listener, I, I kind of got the impression that he was maybe, like, I'll show these young guys, you know, some things to do about old Hollywood, you know, kind of tone maybe a little bit, some of his initial appearance on it. Which is fine. And, and I thought that, like, you could hear... With some of the stuff that Patrick was saying on that episode, you can hear it in his voice. Like, oh, shit, this guy knows something. <laughs> like, you can, you can hear it in the episode. If you ever want to, like, a pick-me-up, Patrick, you should listen to that episode and listen for this. You know, you, you, you've told me this story, like, five times. I never get tired of hearing it. This is my thing. <laughs> this is what I think about sometimes when I'm feeling blue. I'm just like, yeah, but I really showed Sergio a thing or two when I was talking about the uh, how Meet Me in St. Louis subverted the Broadway musical form. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, apologies if I repeat myself, but it's worth preserving no. on, on a recording. No, absolutely. But, uh, I, also, I also learned a lot from... My 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 guest and my friend 
for the Buster Keaton episode. Me? Yeah. And uh, Robert Altman. Who, uh, yeah. that's one of my favorite episodes too, because like it was a sort of a, oh yeah, Patrick knows his stuff episode <laughs> again. And me sort of discovering that he's one of my favorite directors of all time. As he should be. Yeah, three women. Can't <laughs> three be that. Three women. Three women. <laughs> I, I would say that I wish every episode ended like the Woody Allen episode where you just go through every film <laughs> in chronological order and give your two cents on them. <laughs> I don't know at what point we just abandon all decorum and we're just like, <laughs> fuck it. Where's IMDb? Let's just dig in. <laughs> And, and for those that don't follow you on Letterboxd, Woody Allen, I know, was your favorite director when the show started. I know that Altman has supplanted him. But so since you did the episode on Manhattan and Purple Rose of Cairo uh, and everything else, uh, he did Midnight in Paris, To Rome with Love, Blue Jasmine, Magic in the Moonlight, and Irrational Man. Yeah. Uh, what's your feeling on the last few years of Woody Allen? Um, I've, like, there was a really dark period in the late 90s, early aughts, where it wasn't just that his movies weren't good. They weren't interesting at all. Like Hollywood yeah. ending and small time. Cro- I, I have a fondness for small time crooks, but it's, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's yeah. not an interesting <laughs> movie at all. It's like, it's kind of neat to see him remake uh, larceny Inc for the first uh, act of it. But other than that, it's not really worth anything. Um, yeah. And you know, curse of the Jade scorpion was this as well. Ugh. And there was this period of time where yeah. it was like, Oh, he's not only not good, it's like he's not interesting. And now I yeah. think he's not good, but he's interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I enjoy I enjoy watching those movies. Um, there's aspects to Midnight in Paris I enjoy quite a bit. Um, yeah. I think that movie is severely overrated. Um, I think Blue Jasmine is a good movie. I take that back, because I think Blue Jasmine is a good movie. But again, it's not, yeah. it's not good in the way that early Woody Allen is good. Well, sure. It's yeah, no, a it's not- solid character piece you know mm-hmm. yeah but i don't i don't really expect him to ever make another movie as good like what was the last great movie he made maybe i would say for match point for, i wouldn't i wouldn't sweet, even, i would say sweet and lowdown for me yeah maybe yeah. sweet and lowdown or deconstructing harry would be oh yeah maybe. would be for me those like, were back to back weren't they yeah um no celebrity comes between uh, them. that's right i think i think celebrity is quite good yeah you've mentioned yeah that. i do too i'll have to watch that again um but um but i don't expect him to ever go back to that, but I'm, I enjoy his films. Uh, yeah, I, I thought Magic in the Moonlight was pretty wretched. <laughs> <laughs> I, Scoop. Uh, I, like, uh, I like Scoop is another disposable one that it has yeah. a it has a very very good good very good one liner from Woody where he says, "You know, my wife always said I was immature," and and I had a great retort to that. But when I would raise my hand, she wouldn't call on me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like Vicky Cristina Barcelona? I forget. Oh, I that's that was right. Actually... I do enjoy that. Again, not yeah. not a great Woody Allen movie, but yeah, like that's... that's very enjoyable. Yeah, I sometimes wonder if like when he's gone, like we're gonna go back to things like Melinda and Melinda be like, you know what, we were wrong. Yeah, Melinda, Melinda is specifically <laughs> the one that I go back and like I couldn't finish that. I to this day have not watched that all the way through, but like I go back yeah. and I'm like, you know, maybe that's actually really good. <laughs> Like, yeah, you know, because celebrity, that's actually really good. So maybe Quentin Tarantino yeah. is already ahead of the curve saying that anything else is the, like the secret masterpiece that no well, one else thinks it yeah, is. Yeah, Quentin Qu- Qu- Tarantino's that. 300 years ahead of the curve there where people yeah. just, that happens to be the one DVD that exists after humankind nukes itself and aliens yeah. find it and go, what a strange art form. <laughs> 
God. Well, like uh, looking over directors like to see like people that were prolific after you covered them. I mean, I remember you being both mostly really hard on Tim Burton, other than Ed Wood. Would you say that you were? Since then, he's done Dark Shadows, Frankenweenie, and Big Eyes. Would you say that you were correct in thinking he's um, kind of a spent spent force? I would say that I was confident enough in my own opinion to not watch Big Eyes, Frankenweenie, <laughs> or Dark Shadows. I think Frankenweenie is okay. I haven't seen it, but... People love Big Eyes. Big Eyes is like surprise. Everyone rents Big Eyes. Big really? Eyes, really? Big Eyes is a weird really? movie in the, that store where every demographic, like every demographic, they rent Mad Max and Big Eyes, or they rent... Um, or they rent like uh, words and pictures in Big Eyes, or they they rent Pitch Perfect Two in Big Eyes. Like Big Eyes is is in a weird spot where everyone everyone sees it huh. and says, "Yeah, it was good. I liked it." Okay. Yeah, I've never seen it. No. I think people really want another Ed Wood, and so anytime time he makes something that isn't like a uh, Happy Meal tie-in kind of film, right. it's like they 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 think that, that this is it. This is his other Did he direct series? Alice in Wonderland 2, which is coming out this summer? I don't think so. Oh, okay. Well, I saw a trailer for that. I was like, I will never see that movie. No, thank you. I never saw the first one. I, I think I said this on the Tim Burton episode. I'm glad he exists because 14-year-old girls aren't allowed to make films in Hollywood. Oh. You know, I sometimes wonder if Wes Anderson... He's never Wes Anderson's never made a film that I don't enjoy. So I'm just saying this kind of like because he's seemingly caught in the bubble of making Wes Anderson movies. Yeah. Like I wonder if he could become the new Tim Burton in once once the wit runs out. I I I'm not I am so fickle. I think everyone is one movie away from being garbage. <laughs> <laughs> like there was there was a part of me when I was watching Hateful Eight and I didn't know and I didn't sort of know what I thought about it. Like especially before that intermission, like I was just like, yeah, well, I guess Woody Allen's. I, I was like, well, I guess Tarantino's done. I mean, he had an incredible run, so good on him. <laughs> like, I, I am so fucking fickle. Yeah, I'm, and I'm so optimistic about yeah. most directors, and Ex- I just, I, I, I don't think, like, for instance, the insane reaction to Inherent Vice, like even people I know who love almost every Paul Thomas Anderson movie, actively hate that movie. Well, you left it off your top ten. Oh, not, uh, not, not, not anymore. But, <laughs> but the year that it came out, because I remember Patrick commenting, and like, oh, you, Paul Thomas Anderson, you know? All right, all right. Yeah. Oh, it's changed. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, um, that was another great 70, was that 70 millimeter? Yeah, I don't think so. No, Master was 70 millimeter. Oh, he should. We saw that in... We saw it on a 30, we saw a 35 millimeter oh, film, 35 film millimeter. print of it, and it was really good. Yeah. Yeah, I saw it. I saw it in, in a, a venue in, in New York where the acoustics were really rough, and so Joaquin's uh, mumbling really made it difficult. That was, us, sure. that was us seeing the master. Yeah, oh, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so there's a lot of episodes. Like, I can just name directors. If you if there's if there's one that has a good story, so like you did Walter Hill with Mike Flynn. We covered the Warriors and Streets of Fire. Since then, he's in Bullet to the Head. Uh, you did Peter Weir with Brendan M. Leonard. Talked about Last Wave and Fearless. Uh, you did Deborah Cronenberg originally with Megan Lamb, who hasn't been on the show since. What's the story with Megan Lamb? She lives in St. Louis. Um, I think she's getting her PhD. She's okay. a writer. Uh, I, I saw her do a poetry reading recently. Oh, and nice. Not a poetry reading. I, it was not a poetry reading. She wrote a, a fiction 
a semi-fiction piece about uh, working in a peep show booth that was really good. And I didn't know that, that was what the fiction was going to be when I brought my mother to it. But <laughs> You bring your mother to all sorts of things that you would not expect she, people to bring their mothers to. She's a, she, she's, a, um, she's, a rigorous, she's a rigorous woman. She can take a lot. Oh, uh, sure. She, she has a sunny optimism that can conquer any. Like I, Later on, I apologized for taking her to see Hateful Eight, and she said, Oh, you know, it was really interesting because I didn't know who to trust, and I was trying to figure out who the killer was. So I enjoyed it, like, despite it being so nasty and bleak that like, she was able to, like, find things to enjoy Always about look it. on the bright side. Yeah. <laughs> um, let me see. Um, looking over the other episode, we said Michael Winterbottom, episode 17. You covered 24-Hour Party People and Code 46 with Kurt Halfyard. Oh, wow. Um, since then, Michael Winterbottom has made... Like half a dozen films yeah. I've never heard of. Um, Doesn't surprise he's very, me. Um, he's very prolific. That guy. That that guy. As far as I'm concerned, that's the guy who makes those. The trip. <laughs> yeah. And I'll, I'll, well, the, I'll watch well, the his, trip I've heard of, yeah. and Look of Love I've heard of. I don't know a lot of these films even get distribution in the U.S. anymore. No. Um, he made Christopher a, Nolan. Oh, sorry. Oh no, I'm sorry. He made a he made a uh, like a boyhood sort of a film. Uh, Did he really recently? That that he had been working on. And it came out like I think a year before Boyhood hmm. or something, but like it got no notice. <laughs> Jesus! Oh, that's sad. Yeah. You know, uh, speaking of Boyhood, just real quick, I was gonna say I didn't talk about it more than celebrate the soundtrack. But Girlhood, if you guys haven't seen it, it's worth a look. Regina, Regina that, loved Girlhood. I think that the title fucked it up because people are like, oh, it's yeah. cashing in on Linklater's film, but it's it's not anything like it. Um, so Christopher Nolan you covered with Eric Childress uh, you did Memento and the Prestige since then he did The Dark Knight Rises Interstellar um, did you, which, what are your thoughts on Christopher Nolan now he, he's, pretty much the same I hope, I hope he can get back to making The Prestige um, yeah that's a movie that, that was another nice discovery Dark, Dark Knight Rises is Big dumb, fun. like I. That's the kind of movie I think is big dumb fun because it's so crushing and bleak <laughs> for a big dumb fun movie. Like yeah. so, that to me is the thing I respond to. And then you know, Interstellar was a was a good movie. I enjoyed yeah. that, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I think he's uh, kind of done being like a really interesting director. Yeah, he. I had a chance to see him with the Brothers Quay. That's right. Because um, he's a big Brothers Quay buff, apparently, and he made a documentary or something or a short film about them, and he was there with them at Film Forum, and I just... It was a work night, and it was like a pain in the ass to get up to see him. It's like... It's interesting that, like... I mean, he's the guy that really saved Celluloid more mm-hmm. than, than Spielberg or Tarantino from what I hear... But I don't know. I, I still like Memento best. <laughs> um, David Mamet. So since you covered David Mamet, he did Phil Spector, and he also became like very proudly and vocally right wing. Mm-hmm. Um, did that? Does that change your take on on his work? Like the, the politics? Does that get in the way, or do you even have you even really followed? Have you rewatched any Mamet since you did that episode? Oh, I rewatch Mamet all the time. Oh yeah, I. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't say it as a joke. House of Games. I, yeah. I I put his movies on at work all the time, and I watched rewatched House of Games, and recently, and I rewatched Spartan, and I rewatched Homicide. Um, I love. Uh, uh, Red uh, Velvet. 
uh, State and Maine. Oh, State and Maine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, so do I. I. I don't. I don't judge artists by their lie. I judge them by their art. Yeah. Because as you should, they're all terrible people. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you're an ambitious person, you probably have done and believe terrible things about. And if you're not an ambitious person, I probably have never heard of you. You know. Right. Well, I think. I think that. I think the, th- the reason I thought you might read something into his politics is when you were uh, the, the the film he wrote that Jim covered recently that Stuart Gordon uh, oh, directed Edmund, Edmund. Oh, yeah. and picking up on the inherent nastiness of that and like maybe like do do you feel like the right wing politics of that were bleeding into that s- story or that. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. He wrote that, that, he wrote he wrote that, that very long time ago. He wrote that yeah, in the eighties. He's always been. I don't know if I'd, I'd say I always knew he was right wing. Positive conservative. Yeah, I'm sure he always has been a closeted conservative in some yeah. ways. But like, I wouldn't say I've always known he was right wing. But he always seemed to be very aggressive and cynical. Like you know, he's aggressive and he's cynical, and he right. writes these men and like. I don't know. You you just get the fu- especially like the more I become politically or socially aware or whatever, and the more like those things become important to me, the more I just start to assume that about anyone over the age of forty. <laughs> like <laughs> like I really can never ever be like Bill Burr has an amazing bit on this where it's like like the Duck Dynasty's guy. His only crime is that he just lived too long because. Oh. Man. Like, you know, like, it's just like, they asked him about what he thought about gamers. Number one, who gives a fuck what the Duck Dynasty thinks about gamers? Number yeah. two, what the fuck do you think he's going to say about gamers? Like, like that sort of thing, like, yeah, you just expect it. You know, I just, like, one of the most baffling things about this year, we didn't even talk about it, but 2015 was the year of the woman. Like, almost all of my top ten movies were had female protagonists. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was so hard to pick a best actress. Yeah, I actually had a, a note about that in like when we were talking about uh, the year in film. I had a note to myself like just like number of great coming of age stories for girls, and like not just like the Diary of a Teenage Girl or uh, Mustang or uh, yeah. There was a film we didn't even talk about uh, called Breathe. Uh, the woman that played Shoshana and in, uh, in uh, Inglorious Bastards, Melanie Laurent, like directed. Yeah, Melanie um, Laurent. Melanie Laurent, um, yeah, like this, and you know, uh, uh, two two doors, Nicole. I mean, right. um, so yeah, so so like one of the things about this year that fascinates me is most yeah. of those most of those movies are directed by men. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't know what that means necessarily. I don't know what it means necessarily that Tangerine is feels so vital and so ob- well observed, but also was directed by a white man. Yeah, like I I don't mm. know what that means, but I'm. I'm very skeptical of everything. I'm skeptical when Mad Max Fury Road comes out and all the think pieces come out about how amazing and feminist it is. Like, no, like I'm skeptical about that. I'm skeptical about anyone throwing in their lot with artists. Like people love to like, Oh man, that Jennifer Lawrence, she said the thing that you say, you know, she said the thing that's true about disparities between men and women. So she's awesome. And then the next thing she says, she happens to like make some off color comment about looking like a lesbian or whatever, and it's like Jennifer Lawrence, she betrayed us. What? <laughs> like, <laughs> there's no gray area. Yeah, like, like it's just like don't don't expect too much out of people. 
No, they're, they're fallible. They so mistakes. I guess that's how I felt about David Mamet, which is like, yeah, fucking course he is. <laughs> like, I didn't. That's... It's not something I already knew, but it's not something that surprised me, and it doesn't really change the way I look at his work. Yeah. Um, before I forget, uh, your Tangerine comment reminded me of what Glenn Kenny wrote about it in his uh, Top Films of the Year. Uh-huh. He said, uh, I like its vitality and small innovations, but it's still a straight white man's view of trans culture, which, you know, I could do myself. <laughs> <laughs> Except I couldn't. Like, I couldn't make that movie. Yeah, but I, I, I just, I mean, it's, it's a joke. Yeah. But it still made me laugh yeah. when I read it. I don't know, like, um, like I mean, yeah. Same with Duke of Burgundy. Like, you hear it's like, well, it's white. I don't, I don't know Peter Strickland's sexual proclivities, but I assume I he's straight just because no. I haven't heard otherwise. So it's yeah. like it's a, it's a, it's a straight man doing a lesbian S and M movie, and it's the most yeah. tasteful thing ever. Okay. Like, there's like it, it's oh no, it's not just a white. Well, Todd Haynes is gay. That's a different sort of thing. He doesn't have yeah. the male gaze the way that right. That's true. But um, but like Peter Strickland. He's like he's drawing inspiration from exploitation movies, and it's a lesbian S and M thing. And you go in, and then you're like, "Whoa, that was really restrained and tasteful." And I can put that on at work, and there's no problem because there's yeah, there's no I nudity. In I don't that think there's any yeah. nudity. I don't think there's any there real explicit yeah, yeah. sex scenes other than like the masturbation scene, um, which is all very tastefully shot. Right. I mean, it's certainly fetishistic as hell, but it is not like it doesn't feel like overly leering or it doesn't feel leering at all really. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's the thing about it that, um, on some level I think makes genre people uptight is that it feels like because it is a genre film that doesn't offer the, the, the tawdry payoffs of the genre that it's somehow critic critical of, um, you know the the source material, like it's it's a is a, a Jess Franco film without nudity. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I fi- I think that it's critical. It, yeah, it well, I mean, that doesn't I, seem I'm, to be its interest. I don't. I mean, that's not my take on it either. Otherwise, I probably would have an issue with that. Right. But mm-hmm. um, but I think I think the people that reject art horror and, and if you, do you have you heard um, the. Uh, Brett Easton Ellis. The Brett Easton Ellis talking, like, because Quentin Tarantino and Eli Roth talk about this, because, like, you know, they come from, like, the blood and guts, like, visceral side of it, and for them, there's a certain threat posed by art house horror that they resent. The Good Night, Mommy, Babadook. I agree. Well, I agree, because I wouldn't, I don't know, I wouldn't say that Babadook falls into this category, because I think that's legitimately scary, but I do get tired of movies that use horror trappings, but aren't actually scary you know like like yeah. salem is like uh lords of salem is that a horror movie yeah i'd probably say it's a horror movie is it ever scary at all for a moment no not really mm-hmm. you know like yeah. there's all of these movies that use the trappings of horror but then they're horror adjacent you know yeah i think i think lords of salem i i don't have a hard time thinking of it as a as a straight up horror movie though i mean i don't think i it, it, it to me that's I'm mean, the only person that thinks that the best Rob Zombie movies are the last two. <laughs> yeah. Um, but just because they're the strangest to me, um, and and maybe they're, they're less effective as scary movies, but they seem to be the the ones that are something I haven't seen before. I just um, I, I like I've seen being a movie s- open up as a dream sequence with Halloween too, but that, yeah, that's all right. I I, mean, I, <laughs> I um yeah. I like being scared and I like watching movies that people by people who know how to make scary movies. And yeah. I feel like that is 
that's certainly happening less and less in the mainstream sense where everything is turning into this very strict bloom house formula where it's like it's a house and there's a family in it and there's an attractive b-list character actor as the father and a child does something creepy and there's a possession like all those movies run together and they're boring and so you like expect indies to like do something cool but if indies the thing cool thing they're doing is like taking the aesthetics of horror and then not trying to scare you at all there's something there's like an underserved um sort of reason for horror movies to exist that it's they don't exist anymore and it's a bummer but i don't i don't necessarily see all art films that take visual cues from horror films or exploitation films as threats you know right do you um what, what was the scariest film of 2015 for you was it it follows yes or yeah, was it was definitely it, it yeah. follows mm-hmm. yeah um unfriended had some scary moments uh sure but it follows was the way and devil's candy was uh, very tense at certain parts. Certain parts. I need to see it. I, I you know, I know. Did you guys see it like a festival? Yeah, it was at the Music Box of Horrors. So okay. Ethan Embry was there. Um, yeah, it's, it's on my list. Yeah. I just, it's never played around here. Jim didn't like it as much as I did. Sorry, right. I didn't like the director's last movie, The Loved Ones. I've never seen that either. I know that you don't like it though. Yeah. So it's. <laughs> when I, you know uh, what, you know what, when. I, <laughs> When I, when my enemies are dead, the only thing people will remember about them are the nasty things I've said about them. <laughs> that's, that's my that's my ultimate goal. You don't need to know about the loved ones. You just need to know that I think it's shit. <laughs> that's true. I do I do retain it when I've heard you trash things that I haven't seen yet. But uh, <laughs> it's terrible. Um, Ralph uh, Bakshi uh, was to me one of the ones I had to do the most homework for as a listener before uh you did that episode and it's i think was that the first animated one i'm trying to think of this before after you did miyazaki it was before it was before mm-hmm. um did you know much about him like what prompted that one i saw american pop in high school um no in my brief stint in college i saw american pop and of course i knew about fritz the cat because i was obsessed with r crumb um, so I mostly thought of Dis- Fritz the Cat as like a very disreputable movie, but I really loved American Pop um, and still do. Uh, so I thought, you know, that's a very interesting director who has a very specific aesthetic. We should, I, yeah, I was definitely the one who put him on the list. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting episode. He did a short film this year that I was trying to find time to watch before the uh, the lists and all were made but uh, I did not get a chance um, let's see the just looking over so Claire, Claire Denis was another one um, that I thought was really interesting because it very like it's, she stands out on the list um, and that was that was prompted by your love of white material mm-hmm. wasn't it yeah, yeah white material I didn't know anything about Claire Denis I'd never heard of her but I just randomly picked a movie at the music box one week and I saw it and it was white material and I was bowled over. And I think I was like the only person I knew who really loved that movie. Cause I remember like at the time, Mike D'Angelo didn't like it and I didn't know any other critics who were really that into it. But, uh, I was, I was just like completely flabbergasted by white material. Yeah. It's, <clears throat> I think it's a masterpiece. I think yeah. I think that she in general is generally you know really consistent. I don't. I think she's doing a science fiction movie now, so I don't know how I feel about that yet. But um, 
Okay. Well, I mean, I can go director by. I gotta say, I was really fond of the Paul Verhoeven episode uh, with John oh, yeah. Bernard of uh, Chud <laughs> as your as your guest. Yeah, me and him wrote the Tales from the Crypt articles together. Yeah, I, I, I'm especially a big fan of your Turkish Delight assessment. <laughs> well, that was I, I don't remember what my assessment Parker was. Hauer. I mean, I know I didn't like I know <laughs> I didn't that like that when he's like, that's the movie where he's masturbating semen and he sticks pictures on the wall? Yeah, yeah, I remember the movie. I'm just saying, I don't remember what my take was. <laughs> well, I was just trying to remember it in my head. <laughs> well, you go back and listen to it one day. Yeah, you know, I guess so. It. I didn't like it. It'll spark memories. Um, Otto Preminger uh, with uh, oh, yeah. Nat oh. Amaral is that so it, I would guess just as a listener that one would you say that was the one that was the biggest revelation of directors or were there others that for me, were bigger than Otto Preminger for you for me it was definitely um, Otto Preminger because it wasn't only that I had never seen an Otto Preminger movie and I ended up finding so many of them to be masterpieces as it turns out um, it was yeah. also that that was the moment, I think, in my sort of film, you know, uh, cinephile sort of arc, where I realized that I actually really, really, really fucking love classic Hollywood films. Um, I, that's that's fair. And I'm still like, like I might, I don't know, like if Directors Club was nothing but filmmakers who most of their work happened before 1960, I'd probably be more apt to go back on it. <laughs> Okay, changing the schedule. Yeah, I guess Jim's changing the schedule right now, but like, you know what I mean? Oh, like, like Preston Sturges. Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, <laughs> Ernst Lubitsch and uh, Howard Hawks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> like John Ford, part one and yeah. two. And yeah, like yeah. Uh, whoever. Oh, the Borzegi on the schedule. Yeah, that's right. Well, maybe you could do an off offshoot. I don't know. No, no, because no, I'm, <laughs> I'm joking mostly, but like. Classic club. Uh, yeah, but like, yeah. I sort of realize. Um, I sort of realized with that, and then since then, like the past two years or whatever, I think that was like 2013, so like the past two and a half years, I've just been sort of slowly picking away at a bunch of older Hollywood films and realizing I get a lot more out of them. Yeah, well, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't remember which episode it is off the top of my head, but there's one where you go off on Busby Berkeley, um, and I almost wish that you had done an episode on his work. Mm-hmm. The problem with his work is he's like um, he's like Val Luton, where uh, a lot of his most notable films he was just the choreographer or the yeah. or the music uh-huh. director. He wasn't the director director. Right. Well, you talked about Gold Diggers, right? Well, yeah, yeah, because I saw Gold Diggers randomly. It was part of a pre-code series of matinees, and it was just like that was another one where you were talking about seeing Forbidden Room with your coffee, like. Gold Diggers, I was not prepared for, and that opening number is fucking hallucinatory. It's so crazy. <laughs> Where Ginger Rogers starts singing in Pig Latin, and the camera just keeps pushing closer and closer to her face. Every time I watch it, I feel like I'm on drugs. It's so good. Okay, well, I'll watch that. Yeah. I want more experiences like that, like uh, like Three Women, where it's just, I was not prepared for whatever that was. Yeah, yeah, like, Busby Berkeley was a huge, huge thing for me, and it made me realize that there's, there's something missing. <laughs> from modern like it's part of my uh it's part of what it's just like the ongoing chronicle where i'm like yeah i guess i'm just an old man who can't enjoy modern hollywood movies the way most people can because well i keep thinking that there's like just something missing from these films that shouldn't be they don't make them like they used to this is probably gonna sound like heresy but one director that you've never covered um 
that I wonder just what your take on, because you're talking about the musical, but what is your feeling about Baz Luhrmann? Oh, God. I don't, I don't hate Baz Luhrmann. I mean, I've only seen what? I've seen Romeo and Juliet and Moulin Rouge. That's all I've seen. And I, li- I like them both okay. I think Romeo yeah. and Juliet is a, I think Romeo and Juliet is better. Jim, Jim, you should ask Jim this. Uh, no, don't ask me. Jim, what do you think of Baz Luhrmann? I don't like him. Why? Because I just think he's obnoxious. <laughs> I just think like the first 20, I, 20 minutes of Romeo and Juliet is just oh god, it's too yeah. it's too frenetic and crazy and I, yeah, just, I don't dizzy, I felt dizzy watching that. I remember movie. we were we went on vacation and we and the place we were staying it had like videotapes that you could rent from the front desk and I rent we rented Romeo and Juliet and I watched that a Sunday morning before we went to church and. I only saw the first 20 minutes or so, and I thought the opening gunfight was like, you know, I was nine or whatever. The opening gunfight was the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life. And, like, I remember all throughout that mass, I just kept thinking about those fucking guns and how cool they were. <laughs> like, it sounds fucking gross to talk about it now, but I was just like, yeah, those fucking huge pistols. <laughs> you still think that? Yeah, I think he's. I, I like him all right. I haven't seen Strictly Ballroom. I don't have any interest in seeing like Australia or Great Gatsby, but I like the two movies I've seen of his. All right. Yeah, I only ask. I ask mostly just because I think of like the um, the spectacle and the the um, energy of it. I mean, obviously the Moulin Rouge, I mean, the musical. I mean, he's he's the only person I can think of that feels like a legitimate auteur working yeah. in that style. But um, uh, Craig Craig Brewer. Craig Brewer, yeah, oh. he's he makes exclusively musicals, and I mean, other than his first film, uh, he makes exclusively musicals, and he is definitely an auteur. Yeah, well, we talked about him on our first talk together. This is actually the first episode that has not uh, been shut down uh, that all three of us are on. I think, <gasps> right? That's wild. <laughs> um, hmm. yeah, I'm trying to think, like, um. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I could I could name directors like all all day. If you I mean, had like, like one, if you had like one more question to wrap it up, what would you what would you yeah. want to know? Um, let me think. Um, let me think about. It. I don't know if I have a closing question. Let me think. Give me a second. Um, let's see if there's anything else I can think of. I mean, like when you first started doing this, I mean, has this really, at its best, did it become the show you wanted it to be? I mean, is it like a, uh, did it exceed your ambitions for when you first did the initial episodes? Um, Are you satisfied with what you've achieved with this? 100% yes. The answer to did it exceed our expectations is like, 10 billion percent because what we thought was we 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 thought it was like well you have about six friends who you think will listen to it i have about six friends i think i'll listen to it and if we got like eight more that'd be 20 people that'd be pretty cool <laughs> like pretty much pretty much like so maybe that, the cinecast guys will listen right exactly uh, yeah yeah, yeah. But, um once uh, i think it was like episode 400 of film junk when jay cheel said that the only two podcasts he listens to were uh, the Cinecast and Directors Club. I freaked out in the middle of a grocery store and scared people. Because, um, like, that was that was huge, and they're, like, one of the biggest film podcasts in Canada. But besides that, it's just gratifying um, with all the connections we've made through the guests we've had, but the discoveries we've had. Mm-hmm. 
the many the, the many films we've we've seen as a result of doing this has it's made it all worth it. Yeah, it's. I would say like at, there was a certain point where I got ambitious as far as you know what we have this basically we just have an RSS feed that we put audio files into like how far can we fucking stretch this what weird shit can we do um, I think. I partially succeeded in like making the show weird and diverse and just having like a lot of bonus episodes and a lot of things that fuck with the format. And that to me was part of that was, um, all listening to, uh, the best show on WFMU. Yeah. Yeah. And then once I started listening to that regularly too, that had an influence on some of my editing. And yeah. And it's just like, once you listen to that show, you realize like, Oh, Oh, this can be anything. We don't have to stick to anything at all. Like this could, we, we, no one, no one is minding the store, and and this this costs so little compared to most like syndicated arts. Like it costs so little to put up and keep up. Like fuck it, let's just do what we want to do, and let's not water that down at all. And and that's what I'd say to all the podcasters out there. Yeah, like go for broke. Do what you want. Oh man, my my biggest tragedy is I took I spent two years. I wrote a I wrote a radio play. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> I, I, this still hasn't happened because like half my half my mind thinks will still happen thinks will still happen. But you know, Ren Brown, uh, who was on for the Wachowskis episode, yeah. he was on for another episode, I believe. He was on the Breaking Bad episode. Oh, and, David, uh, Fincher. David Fincher. Yeah. yeah. So Ren Brown, he works with Joseph Kahn, who directed Detention. He directed. Uh, uh, torque, um, disrep- He's a music video director, so he did, like did the Taylor Swift video Blank Space, so some high notable stuff. Ren yeah. Brown works for him, and I wrote a radio play in which, because I at the time I was delivering pizzas, and I would listen instead of podcasts, I would listen to old horror radio shows on my rate on while I was driving, yeah. and I got obsessed with the form, and so I wrote an old horror radio show parody where me and Jim get invited to see a special sneak preview remake of the fun house um, <laughs> in an abandoned amusement park. Uh, and the, the director of this remake is Joseph Kahn. And then we get there and then everyone's vanished and we don't know where anyone is. Um, and we're just doing like stupid banter stuff. Um, a lot of previous guests were on it. Uh, yeah. Colin Suter and Eric Childress were both, uh, would both show up and be like, yeah, it's a bus. We don't know where anyone is. And then I, I discover that all of the crit film critics in Chicago have been murdered um, on a on a faulty roller coaster, <laughs> um, and I just basically list all of the film critics in Chicago and the horrible ways their bodies have been maimed. <laughs> and and basically the, the story is that Joseph Kahn, who put his own money into detention, which was critically panned almost universally by everyone, uh, he got his revenge on the on everyone by by murdering them. Um, so he like, he confronts us after we go through a fun house and it's like, we have a, we have like a lady from Shanghai kind of a scene inside of a, a mirror, like house of mirrors. <laughs> right. Oh my God. Uh, like it was this <laughs> huge thing. And I, I wrote like commercial parodies. I was so proud of it. I still think it's really funny. Uh, and I talked to Ren and Joseph Kahn said, well, he wants to read it and make sure, you know, he wants to read it and make sure that we're near, you're not making fun of him. But, you know, he thinks it's pretty cool. Like he'll do it. So he was going to be on the show and it was going to be like an April fool's thing. And then it was going to be a Halloween thing. And then it was going to be the next April fool's thing. And then it was going to be the next Halloween thing. And it just never happened. And wow. God, I still want it to happen. Cause that shit would be so much fun. 
So did I, did I realize all my dreams? No, (laughs) I sure didn't, (laughs) but I tried and I, we, we got pretty damn close and we had a lot of fun doing it. Amen to that. Yeah. Well, I thank you. Thank you. I mean, I'm excited that I got to be on one of your best of the year episodes because I listen to them every year. So it's really flattering to be the the uh, third person. Uh, and for such a these. very good year. Yeah. 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 I, I should have put Hal Hartley in the top ten just for symbolic purposes, right. but I, I didn't. I didn't think ahead. Just as just as a sign of solidarity. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm so glad you didn't spend any time. On the floor, like you did for Jane Campion. Oh man, the Jane Campion episode where I just, I was so depressed about not having anything to say about the piano that I just laid down on the floor the whole episode. I remember, well, the, 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 the one episode that strikes me as the most baffling one, well, not baffling, but like the one that, like, you can tell that you're just not in a very happy place and it's like it is the Tarantino episode. Yeah, I was, I mean, I was definitely depressed, but also I always get depressed when I feel like. I'm not doing something of value, and I feel like talking about Tarantino, Tarantino. on the internet is almost inherently without value. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, I think I just said that to Nat yesterday. Yeah. About, uh, about doing a Tarantino episode. It's like, yeah, what else are we going to say? That was like pretty much that what we were, like, our well, frame you guys of mind. Did, well, you guys did Spielberg without any trouble, and he's not exactly a uh, an unknown. I, th- I don't think he is. I think we had different takes. Like, sure. I don't think any of us had, like, a real controversial opinion about Tarantino, but I think we had different opinions about Spielberg and stuff. Okay. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, I mean, with a lot of other big directors, like even like Paul Thomas Anderson, it's like, you don't have the same taste. No. You know, mm-hmm. no. still the number one, most downloaded episode of all time. Right. Cause a Capone from ain't a cool news was on it. That's probably a huge reason why Capone is he Capone. I think he is. Yeah. Okay. He's AKA Capone in my notes. Yeah, Steve Procopi. I saw him at the screen last night. He was very nice. Yeah, he's a nice guy. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we gotta go because it's very late. Yeah, I've got to be up in four hours. Okay. Actually, actually three. Oh, I lied. That's you, where they invented coffee. Horrible, horrible choices you've just made. Uh, this is the longest. It's not the first time I've made them. Yeah. Yeah, we've. I've. I showed that we've been recording for just shy of seven hours. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I took actually vacation time to come home early to prepare Aww. notes. So. That is, that's upsetting. Don't do that. <laughs> I'm the face of corporate America. Yeah, well, okay. Well, I mean, if you're wasting their time, I don't care. I'm getting paid for it. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. It's... All right, well, look, go get some rest. I will uh, send you the file, you know, shortly. And hopefully, you know, you were right about the uh, the sound at one point not being a uh, an issue. I mean, it was still clear the whole time. It yeah. just, you'll, you know... If, if it if it shows up like how I heard it, you'd know what I. Yeah, no, no, that's a bandwidth thing, and that's that's only when when you record locally. The internet artifacts don't affect it at all. Okay, cool. All right. Thank well, you, Bill, for being on the show. No problem. For so long. No problem. Happy to do it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Well, have a good night. I'll talk to you guys later. All right. Sounds good. Bye. Good night. Well, Patrick, that was a great recording. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show, and uh, we look forward to talking with you again for Spike Lee? Yeah, I'll be on for Spike Lee. All right, sounds good.